0: This is a relay project. Real talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
1: Well, we're grateful to have you here with us on this December 21st edition of. Real talk, either the shortest day of the year or the longest night. You take your pick as we inch our way toward the holiday season and what we hope will be a a fulfilling time for you to recharge with loved ones. We've got some very special guests in studio today. In just a moment, I'm going to introduce you to Lou Jobs and Sandra Relling. This is going to be real talk, my friends. Lou is a real talker himself. He reached out with a lengthy email a few days ago following a, a powerful conversation here on the show And we figured that this listening audience needed to be privy to Lou's story, Sandra's too. A little later on in the show, we're gonna find out uh, in unrelated discussion. Could hobbits actually be real? A retired anthropologist, a professor emeritus out of the Department that. of Anthropology. This is gonna be fascinating. Professor Gregory Forth, since the nineteen seventies, Johnny, has been conducting field research on a small Indonesian island, mm-hmm. and they've been looking into these 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 beings, uh, the, the remnants of a society. It appears to be organized mm-hmm. society, but not quite humans then they're trying to figure out are are they the missing link could they be hobbit type little creatures that the skeletal remains uh, appear to suggest they were so we're Mm going to do a deep dive into one of these fascinating stories when you tell us real talkers you want to see stories that have nothing to do with politics this one would qualify. That's coming up in about a half hour's time. And of course, we'll take you out to the mountains uh, for another Wednesday edition of My Jasper Memories presented by our friends at Tourism Jasper. Before we officially get the show rolling, I have to ask if you're signed up yet for the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic. It goes Saturday, February 4th, Check out our website, ryanjesperson.com. You go to the events link, and then you go down to Pond Hockey. Super easy to learn more about this annual event at Larry Alexiac Field in St. Albert in support of the Canadian Progress Club. The charities that will benefit from this, uncles and aunts at large, and Kids Sport St. Albert. We're doing everything we can to remove barriers to sport and make sure that as many kids that want to have the option or the opportunity to play in organized sports, including hockey. We're looking for teams, teams of four or five skaters. We've got room for 36 teams. Of course, volunteers make it happen and sponsors as well if you sign up your team before December 31st, you're going to qualify to win an early bird prize worth more than $500. It's the Real Talk Pond Hockey Classic in partnership with the Canadian Progress Club St. Albert, and you can learn more at ryanjesperson.com under the events link.
2: Hopefully it won't be minus 40 that day.
1: Oh man, if it's minus 40, (laughs) I don't know what we're going to do. We're in trouble. We had one a few years ago, so last year was the inaugural Real Talk tournament, but there's a long history to this one. They've Mm -hmm. They've been running it for 13 years now. It's got an amazing tradition behind it. Mm-hmm. And I remember we were down in Mexico as a family. Uh, we returned home at like four in the morning. The flight got in really late or really early, depending on your perspective. And we, we went from like 28 degrees Celsius to minus 25. Yeah, And the tournament still ran that day. They did an amazing job. Last year's, it was like minus three.
2: So you're saying there's no way we Which can get is out perfect. of perfect. <laughs> we say rain or shine, sleet
1: or snow. We know that takes on a whole new meaning when you're talking February in Alberta, but it promises to be an amazing event and more bonfires than the average person could oh, even keep track of. So we make sure that everybody's warm. Yeah. We got the warming tent mm. with our friends from Central Social Hall and Molson are always in great Beautiful. support of that. So it's going to be an awesome day. Last year we raised 50 G's for charity and so we're hoping to top 50 grand this year. So we'll see if we can make that happen with the support of amazing sponsors. Again, Ryan under the events link. We were talking About homelessness, we've been talking about it quite a bit on the show recently, including yesterday in an exclusive sit-down one-on-one with Edmonton's mayor, Amarjeet Sohi, who joined me in studio. Typically, it's small talk, isn't it? It's lazy to kick off a conversation with talk about the weather. But on days like this, in our neck of the woods, when it's flirting with minus 40 degrees Celsius, that becomes more and more relevant, especially when you're talking about marginalized members of our population. I'm blessed to be joined in studio by two guests this morning uh, here on behalf of the 60s Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta. And they bring personal stories to the mix as well. Lou Jobs, a longtime friend of this show, and Sandra Relling, president of the 60s Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta. It's wonderful to have both of you here. Thanks for taking time out of your mornings to join us.
3: Good morning. Thanks for having us.
1: Lou, I'm going to try to paint a picture uh, for people that are listening to this on the podcast, and there's going to be thousands of them. You walked in here with something that absolutely took our breath away, a soapstone carving, uh, an Yeah, uh, appears to be a polar bear. Yeah. Can you tell us about this? This is something that you created. You carved this.
3: Yeah, I carved that. I've been carving uh, for about a year now, so it's just a hobby. Um, I like carving anookshooks. It's... uh,
1: you just started carving a year ago? About a year ago. Yeah. This looks to me like something that a master carver would do. Where Did, did you grow up uh, watching carvers work? Did you grow up watching artists?
3: The only time I ever got to watch any artists is when I was up in Tuck um, back home, where, I was, where my, I'm originally from, is tuck to tuck And uh, so I have relatives that carve. Uh, so they're master carvers. They, they're really good. Uh, mine looks like hack work compared to theirs right so
1: johnny i don't think this you know. looks like hack work do you think this looks like hack work and <laughs> <Yeah>. not at <laughs> all this is uh this is one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen what is um, it what does it represent to you when you when you're carving what are you expressing
3: well i like carving in duck shooks uh because anybody who sees one knows it's usually has something to do with with inuit people inuit culture i didn't grow up like that you know that's part of being the '60s scooper. So I got into carving in chokes and then I added uh, bears and shapes, and did some cutouts and stuff like that. Put in um, some dream catchers and some of the ones that I've done, and then this one here kind of stood out. Sandra,
1: you're um, president of the '60s Scoop Society. Does 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 this? What does this invoke in you when you see a carving like this? Where where does your head go, or what is what emotion does that bring out in you, if
4: any? I think just the, the resilience of Indigenous people, having grown up away from the culture, to be able to come back and create something like this is absolutely phenomenal and the work that goes into it. Uh, Lou did a class for us about three weeks ago and we were all able to take part in doing that. and For me, it was very calming, and it evoked emotion that I hadn't really touched on before. So to be able to know Lou and know that he's able to do carvings like this, um, after having spent a lifetime away from Inuit culture, um, is just phenomenal.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Um, I'm looking forward to a conversation here. We've got our coffees going, and I've encouraged you both to treat it like we're just hanging out at a coffee shop speaking freely because i I envision this morning being a real perspective check. And I experienced a perspective check in my own Lou when you sent me an email, a two pager. this was a, this you poured it all out. You left it all out there and 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 you said I, you said I was watching your uh, – you watched our Alberta Municipalities Roundtable. Yeah. This was last Friday. And We were, we were talking to three mayors. Yeah. Uh, the mayors in Alberta Beach and Wetaskiwin and St. Albert. And then we were talking about homelessness. You said You said talk about homelessness is always interesting to listen to for me because I was homeless for a number of years. You, you talk about your, your time in Edmonton and Calgary on the streets in Vancouver and Winnipeg and Toronto. Mm-hmm. You comfortable talking about your journey? As, as a young child and a young man, and ultimately uh, where you wound up experiencing <laughs> homelessness across Western Canada.
3: Yeah, yeah, sure. Anything? Where know. did it all start for you? Homelessness. Well, where were you born? Born in Tuktoyaktuk, Northwest Territories.
1: And and how long were you with your family? Taken at birth. Taken
3: at birth. Taken at birth from my mom. Yeah.
1: What and are some? What are your earliest childhood memories?
3: Grimshaw, Alberta, with my adopted family. Yeah. That's where I started school. Uh, he was a, The people who adopted me, was, he was a teacher. Um, ironically, both immigrants, she was from the U.S., and he was from Poland. He came over during World War II. Okay. Um, went to the University of Alberta, and his first job out of the gate was in Fort McPherson, Northwest Territories. And I was born in Tuktoyaktuk, and when they took me away from my mom, they put me in a receiving home. And they were the foster family that were taking care of me at the time, and they ended up adopting me. And I was brought south after that.
1: What What are your memories as a young man? Are they Are they positive memories? Are they negative memories? Is that a, a, a an obscenely complicated or, or or shallow end question? I mean, how do you perceive questions about your childhood?
3: It was good up to a point. I guess my teenage years would have been when things kind of went a little bit sideways. Uh, the man's second wife wasn't all that pleasant at times. You know, she she made it a little rough.
1: Growing up, did you have a sense that, that there was part of your identity that, that you didn't maybe feel tapped into? Did Did you feel like something was missing with regards to, you know, where you had been born or your birth family? Did you have questions about your birth family as a young man?
3: Yeah, I was always told I was adopted. It's not like they had that. They just never told me that I was indigenous, strangely enough. So they raised me in a German culture. So I was raised... German. Uh, second language, first language is English, second language was German. Um, I didn't know that I was Inuit until I was like 10 years old, wow. to be fair. Um, growing up, I was teased a lot in school about looking Asian. Um, a lot of racial slurs being thrown at me. I don't, don't want to say the names, I really don't. Yeah, no, that's you don't um, have to. So there was a bit of confusion there, like, and I remember going home going, well, and I didn't look like any of the other kids. There are no other Indigenous kids in my school. I was the only one there. Um, so, we, yeah, we stuck, I, I stuck out. I think Sandra stuck out in your school. I'm not sure, but, you know, I didn't see any other Indigenous kids. We didn't see any Indigenous kids because we were taken from our families. Most of our families at that time when I was growing up were in residential school. So, that, you know, there's a bit of a tie in there, but... um you know, something completely different. We were alone. Sandra, how does your childhood experience compare to lose?
0: Is it um, similar? A similar story? It's very
4: similar. Yeah. I was uh, placed in a receiving home when I was about uh, 11 months old and taken from the Charles Council Hospital after I'd been in there um, with some health issues. And my mother was contacted by the hospital said your daughter's being released can you come in and pick her up so by the time she went from alexander we're talking back in the 60s by the time she found a vehicle to get her into the charles council hospital to pick me up i'd been apprehended and she never saw me again until i was 21 21 mhm yeah had no idea where i went the government didn't explain to her that she was signing surrender papers which we've found out that that's very common I grew up in a very small community west of Edmonton, about an hour from my birth community, and was the only indigenous person in the town. Um, Very much, a part of the community, never felt like I was different than anyone else, never treated different than anyone else that I can remember. So it's really hard for me to say that I'm one of the good stories in that I didn't have a lot of trauma going up. Um, I was made to feel very included in the community. I still have friends that I went to grade one with. and um, But I still felt this longing in me that I couldn't explain. And it wasn't until uh, early adulthood when I met my birth family that I had um, a real identity crisis and not understanding who I was as an indigenous person. I had grown up being, uh, for all intents and purposes, Caucasian, Mm. and I didn't know any other way. So it was very confusing for a long time.
1: Two different sort of identity crises here. As 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 a central part of what sounds like the early experience, would you say that's accurate, Lou? Yeah. You're trying to yeah. trying to pin it down, trying to understand why, even as a young kid, you 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 looked different, or the kids pointed out these differences in your appearance. You didn't have a full understanding of your background, culturally, geographically. No, Etc. No. So, how did you find yourself? I mean, you said your your homeless experience was it was through your twenties. Yeah,
3: for the most part, almost um, late teens, early and throughout the twenties. When
1: you look back on it, and I'm I'm certain this is a complicated question. Okay, uh, but but what got you to that point? Was it was it one singular thing? Was it a series of things? As you look back now in retrospect, are you able to understand? How that
3: part of your journey wound up where it was substance abuse had a lot to do with it alcohol and i started off so i was 16 years old when uh well, basically i was kicked out of my house 16 years old and you're and you're homeless you not going to make probably some of the best decisions in your life especially when you had alcohol to it things really took a turn when i was 18 now uh, living in calgary is where it started on the street um back then it was at the uh the, the alberta Government ran the uh, singleman's Hostel there, and there was uh, at that time the drop in center was nothing like it is today. There's a, a little shack almost right from where compared to the building that there is now. And I was one of the original people on their MAT program that turned into their shelter, and there were 25 of us that were put up at that time.
1: I was, what was that like as a 16 year old? Must have been terrifying. I'm
3: scared, totally scared. I mean, I've got kids now. I look at my son, he's 15 years old. I can't even imagine him in a year. Trying to make decisions out on their own on you know living you know living that kind of a lifestyle. It it, it terrorizes me to think that you actually that, that could happen.
1: We were we were hanging out and, and just having a coffee before we started the show, and um, and we we were taking a look at a photo that you provided to us, a photo mm-hmm. of you with with uh, your son. Um, is it Layton? Yeah, Layton and Cheyenne, your daughter. And, and, I, and I commented on what a beautiful picture it is. Yeah, What a beautiful picture it is. And, and, and you said to me, that's the last time I saw Cheyenne.
3: It is, yeah. Would you tell um, us that story? Sure. So Cheyenne was born in 2005. Uh, that was two years before I hit sobriety date. So I was still drinking and still using it at the time. And she was apprehended. Uh, I'm not saying that she say probably in children's services probably had a good reason to bring in, come in and take her for her safety. Um, they put her into uh, the foster system. And then I found her again because I wrote a letter to Children's Services saying, listen, you have my daughter. She was PGO, which is Permanent Guardianship. Um, if she ever wants to f- to find me, can you give her my, my name, my information? And they wrote me back saying, would you like to see her? And I, oh, shit, yeah. And of course I want to see my daughter, right? What they didn't tell me was that she was in a foster to adopt home and that they had already promised her to this family, Caucasian family, uh, and they had full intentions of, of adopting her. And then it—that's how it went. I didn't get to bring her home, clean, sober at the time, um, housed, working. Uh, none of that seemed to matter. What mattered to the other day at the time seemed to be was they keep their word to this family. So I never did get her back. You—you you still to this day have not seen your daughter since. No, no. no she's uh, she just turned seventeen.
1: So does she know how to find you? Do you know how to find her?
3: Mm, no, no. I do know that she's in the. Uh, she was in the Stony Plain area. People had adopted her in that, in pretty close to home where I live. I live in Spruce Grove. Ironically, I've I yet to see her. Never seen her. So these are familiar stories, aren't they? Mm-hmm. These are mm-hmm. gut wrenching stories.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But familiar stories.
4: Oh, they absolutely are. And uh, the first time it occurred to me was about three years ago that um, in my direct family lineage on my biological side, I'm the first in my generation to not be impacted by um, government child removal policies. So my kids have never been apprehended. Um, it's something that I still worry about today. I have a 16-year-old son and, uh, you know, that fear is always there. And You're why- the
1: first in your family to not have their kids taken.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
1: We keep you using the word apprehended, but I want to, let's be, clear. so ever, people mm-hmm. that maybe don't quite understand what's, what, what, what that means or what's implied there, um, losing your kids. Mm-hmm. Now, there's no reason why you would lose your 16-year-old. Is that just something that is hardwired into you based on you and your family's experience?
4: It's still always a concern that I'm going to make a decision or make a choice that's going to impact um, my ability to raise my sons and my daughter. And uh, it's, it's stayed with me throughout my life as a parent. And I uh, I know countless people who are in the same situation that that's a constant worry that your children are going to be apprehended because of some choice that you have made and based on a policy that was made by people who don't understand your culture.
1: That's such a, that, that, that's kind of like the key point that needs to be made as part of the bigger conversation around this isn't it I mean like in in your work in advocacy Lou and in, in your work um you know leading this Sandra leading as president the the 60 scoop indigenous society of Alberta is is having people understand the cultural implications of a lot of the policies that were implemented I mean in Canada for for you know well over 100 years probably uh or longer than that but in particular for talking about the 60 scoop Lou, do you, when you look back on, uh, you know, getting your life to where it is now, where, what was the turning point? When, when, you, when you're an individual that's been experiencing homelessness for years, you now find yourself in a position where I know that you're working in advocacy and helping others.
3: What happened? Well, it didn't start off all that good. Uh, my last drunk on this planet to date uh, was in St. Paul, Alberta. I got hammered on some mouthwash. I mean, mm. I'll be honest here, dude. alcoholism took me down a road that I never thought I'd ever go to. Mouthwash, probably alcohol, living outside, living homeless. I passed out in front of the St. Paul Friendship Centre and was arrested. And I gave the police a bullshit name. And so when I woke up in the drunk tank, I didn't remember what name I gave him. And I had warrants out for my arrest. So that's how that's how sobriety started for me, it was, was not in the best way. I got transferred into Edmonton, into the remand here, and I was my lawyer who uh, stepped up and uh, made it real. I got the spiel that I'd heard a few times about clearly you're an alcoholic and you need help and all this other stuff. And at the time I was like, you know, just shut up. I don't wanna fucking hear it. And then he pulled out this black key tag. He said, listen, just shut your shut your pie hole and listen to me. I know a little bit about sobriety, I'm not, I'm not bullshitting you, I just wanna be real with you. This and, is your lawyer. Yeah, this is my lawyer, right? And yeah, uh, it's the first time that anybody had ever, uh, ever said that, so. Uh, kind of caught my attention. And um, while I'm sitting at Remand, he was behind the scenes, him uh, getting me into Bellmaker's Lodge.
1: Just so I understand correctly, the, the, the key tag he showed you, that was a, a token of his a token sobriety? His
3: sobriety. Okay. The, right. A black key tag in, uh, means that you've had multiple years of sobriety under your belt. You earn it, right? You do. So I don't have one. I, I stopped going to meetings and stuff. But I mean, he was a regular meeting for NA. I'm not going to say his name. I'm not going to break anonymity on him. That's okay. So, you know, but yeah. And then he uh, he helped me get into palm makers. and that's where things turned around. Sobriety for me kicked in when I stepped into a sweat lodge and stepped out of it. Uh, the desire to drink was taken away. I can't explain it. I, I honestly can't. But there's a spirituality aspect that uh, kicked in and uh, took away the desire to have a drink. I haven't had it since. So to this day, to this day, it's 15 years ago. Do people know enough? I think I already know the answer to this question. Does the average Albertan
1: or the average Canadian know enough about the 60s scoop to even be able to wrap our minds around? I mean, we talk about truth and then reconciliation.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: Does the average citizen here know enough about the 60s scoop?
4: No, absolutely not. We are, we've become very well versed in residential schools, and so it should be and all the trauma that went behind those child removal policies we're kind of the second generation of residential schools because after the schools started closing there were still means in place to take children away from their parents and that is what led up to the 60 scoop so um it's never really stopped and um I really don't think there's enough education about the Sixty Scoop yet, but we're starting to get there slowly and surely. We do a lot of advocacy and education work with the Sixty Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta. A lot of people, when they start understanding that whole realm of what the Sixty Scoop is, they start understanding that, oh, that explains why this Indigenous person was in the school that I went to. And it kind of clicks in and for many people, they get a greater understanding because they can relate it back to somebody that they've gone to school with. Sure.
1: Can, can you help the, the, the general audience of this show understand, like my, my understanding? And Lou, we were even briefly talking about this before the camera started rolling
3: <laughs>
4: yeah.
1: about some of the unique challenges. That survivors of the 60s, like, and, and I want to ask the question carefully because obviously, when you start talking about residential schools and you talk about the treatment of Indigenous people in Canada over the course of decades, obviously, this is a is a is a major conversation. It's a national conversation that people are wrestling with at an individual level, at the different levels of politics and policy and everything else. But there are some things I think that 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 are uniquely specific to the sixty scoop or to survivors of the sixty scoop. Are you able to articulate articulate those in a way that, that people could understand some of the specific challenges or maybe some of the specific conversations that you would like to see people in this country have about the sixties scoop and about reconciliation?
4: I think it's really important, especially for people in uh, helping positions like um, medical profession, health, education, to understand that um, when you see an Indigenous person, it's their life experience that forms who they are as a person. And being a part of the Sixty Scoop, um, we were entirely removed from that culture. So like with Lou and I, we both grew up as Caucasian children, so we didn't have that background of indigeneity to form who we are as a person until we were in our, as adults. So I guess my biggest takeaway here for people is that just because you see an indigenous person doesn't mean we all had the same experience. We all didn't go to residential school. Um, we all were rec- impacted. Every Indigenous person in this country was impacted by a child removal policy at some point in their life. My thinking is that my life experience is different than somebody who grew up with their culture. Right. So you can't label me as automatically assuming. And you can't expect my children to be pardon the expression, but the token Indian in their classroom, when you have a question on an Indigenous experience, to ask my sons or my daughter what their take on it is, because they're still learning about their culture just along with me. So I think we really need to um, get rid of that label of the Stoic Indian, because really... Until I was an adult, I didn't start learning about my culture. Because of my life experiences, I'm always riding a fence, whether it's in the non-Indigenous world or in the Indigenous world. I'm never entirely 100% in one culture or in the other because there's always a pull back to the other side, no matter which side I go on. A lot of times I am treated very differently depending on which world I'm in.
1: Thank you for sharing that. Mm
4: -hmm.
1: I don't take this lightly. Like uh, this is landing big time with me and I guarantee with this audience as well. Uh, Lou, this carving that you brought in, this comes back to the carving. I mean, like what Sandra just said and talked about. Yeah, uh, If if, if you connect with what she's saying at all, talking about uh, tapping back into our better understanding culture or experiencing culture or learning culture as an adult. I mean, for you, I didn't know you just started carving a year ago. When you, when you sent me a photo of this carving, I thought, I figured you'd been carving since you were a boy. No and, no. and that to me is like, this represents so much. The levels of what this represent runs so deep. Is it possible, do you think, to fully connect with culture as an adult?
3: That's hard to do because a lot of culture goes back to language. And I lost my language. So uh, there's such a huge tie to Indigenous culture and 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 to the language, uh, trying to translate their their words into English, you lose the meaning sometimes, right? You really do. So, in order to fully understand the culture, you should probably have a good understanding of their language as well. And I don't have that at all hmm. right now. I I can go back to talk. I've met my family. I've met my biological family. Uh, we're close. What was that like? Uh, culture shock. Huge culture shock. You're growing up down south, and you're going up to an Arctic uh, community. Complete, complete culture shock for me the first time. Right, I was in my twenties. My first time I went up there. The last time I was up there was 2018. It was uh, uh, on my nanak's hundredth birthday. We had a family reunion. So, in order to to learn my culture, I would probably I would need to live there. Yeah. For sure. For real. I'd like to, to get a good grasp of the understanding of it. Yeah.
1: Well, we wanted, we want to draw attention. I know that the, one of the reasons, one of the reasons why you reached out to us, Lou, and I'm so grateful we're hearing from Lou Jobs and Sandra Relling, uh, with the 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta. You can check them out online at ssisa.ca. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, watching on YouTube, uh, you'll be able to just check out the show notes and we'll have the link there. Uh, so you can link to it, SSISA.ca. You're, you're working on organizing um, an event, so to speak. Uh, you're yeah. looking to get people together and 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 really take big steps forward. Uh, you want to tell us what this is all about?
3: Sure, it's a national gathering that we've been able to uh, to put together. We're going to have uh, 40 survivors come across come from across Canada and one from Australia coming in together for the first time, just as a way to. To recognize more of a recognition, right? Uh, it's a healing, it's a week long healing gathering, you know, trying to introduce, give them a basic understanding and an acknowledgement that you know you're important and here's you know a basic guide to some of your culture that you may have lost. You may have lost, you know, I mean, it's so hard to do that, um, because yeah. there's such a wide variety of, uh, you like you can't place everybody, not everybody's Cree, not everybody's Metis, not everybody's, yeah, like, and. and, and so, you're trying to bring together a group of people who are raised and lost their culture um, and just give them a taste of it, basically, some healing. Including a round dance? Including, Well, we're hoping to have a round dance. But uh, you're looking for funding. Yeah, yeah. So, there's that's the catch. Um, Can I read from your email? Sure. You
1: wrote to me and you said, I, I, I realize and understand how tight things are for everybody, financially you're talking. You say, I honestly feel I shouldn't have to beg the very people who took us away to fund a memorial ceremonial dance for those who died in the care of the government. You said, not only do we have to do this, but then we're told there's no money for this when we ask for it. They continue to profit off our children, yet will not let us acknowledge our now ancestors in dance and ceremony. Churches and other religious institutions have the luxury of receiving tax-deductible donations, yet the indigenous people who want to practice ceremony don't have that same ability. This all costs money to hold. You say, I'm humbly asking for help and raising this for our initial round dance. Um, we want to start by making a commitment on behalf of, of real talk and relay. Um, so, we, you know, and we'll keep that private between us, but we want to make a, a commitment, uh, to help fund this round dance. And, um, and I also want to implore this audience, um, to do what they can, uh, and, and to do what they can to support, uh, this initiative. I believe this to be imperative, um, to community healing. I have a world of respect for you. Uh, You and I have corresponded digitally for a while, but this is our first time meeting in person. I feel like I've made a very new friend, two of them, in studio here. Can people donate directly by visiting the website? Senator? is that the best way to do it?
4: No. Um, We don't have that set up. We're not a charitable organization, which leads to a host of other problems. We do have a foundation, a national foundation, where. By we can apply for funding to um, hold this gathering. Um, this gathering is very important. And the biggest part of healing that we found as um, Sixty Scoop survivors is when we get together because growing up, we always thought that we were the only ones going through this experience. But trying to source funds out for this gathering, um, any organization needed to have charitable status. So they put many roadblocks in the way. So because of that charitable status um, not being in place, uh, we have a difficult time receiving donations because they're not tax deductible.
1: But if there was somebody or a hundred people that said we we'd like to donate 50 or 100 or 250 or $5,000 to this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they could contact you through your website and you would be able to to accept and process that donation.
4: Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So
1: ssisa.ca. You never one thing, 20 years in this business, I've realized you never know who's going to hear an interview. Mm-hmm. You know, you never know who, who this is going to land with, you never know who this is going to impact. You never know what somebody might be able to do to make this happen. Um, So I encourage you, if this is landing with you and resonating in a big way, to check out the website, ssisa.ca. When is this happening?
4: May 28th to June 3rd.
1: So it's coming up?
4: Yeah, the round downs will be on the 3rd of June. Five-ish months-ish? Ish. Mm -hmm. ish. Yeah, Mm
1: -hmm. okay. All right, and of course, if you have any questions about this, Real Talkers, you can also reach out to us directly to talk at ryanjesperson.com, and we'll be happy, we'll be honored to make that connection. I feel like we've left a lot on the table. We could probably talk for 10 hours but i can't tell you how much i appreciate you it, it's never lost on me the significance of, of people sitting down in front of a microphone and telling all about some stuff that i would
3: imagine can be pretty painful to talk about yeah yeah it's uh at times can be yeah it's a little touchy it comes to my daughter right that's that's uh, it's not something i'm uh, i never thought i'd be able to share that that common experience with my mom in that way that i'm not so sure is a great legacy and I'm really hoping that it stops with her.
1: That's Lou Jobs, uh, joined by Sandra Relling uh, from the 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta here in the Real Talk studio. Much respect to both of you and thank you for this.
4: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Really thank appreciate you it. Much. This conversation is presented by Real Talk sponsors who believe in the importance of conversations that oftentimes are difficult, but conversations that carry great meaning with them. And that includes the team at Park Power. You can find them online today at parkpower.ca. They know that this time of year is going to be more expensive than any other for most families. And at a time, of course, as well, where costs are on the rise. Families are looking for ways to to cut down their costs. And a big way to do that is to take a look at what you're paying for utilities. If you go to parkpower.ca right now, you can check out and compare rates on electricity, natural gas, and internet chances are you're going to pay less with park power if you start looking into the variable rate and the fixed rates you could be paying twice as much as you'd be paying with park power don't forget the promo code 2022 Talk knocks 70 dollars off your first bill but of course that promo code expires in 10 days you got 10 days to go to parkpower.ca why not do it today and make the move like my family did we're saving money have been since day one Once you're signed up with Park Power, then maybe time for a bigger conversation about sustainable energy on your home front, right? Now, maybe it's your commercial building. Maybe it's an industrial setup. Maybe it's your farm. Whatever it is, Kubi Renewable Energy is providing solar energy solutions to power your life. We divulged yesterday something we just learned, and that is that one in five solar power systems installed in BC and Alberta is installed by Kubi. That is major market share from the Tesla-certified installers. You've got journeymen and apprentices up on your roof installing the systems. That's it. You know that it's going to be done right the first time. And the advancements in solar really impressive. When you go to Kubi Renewable Energy, you're going to be getting the best in the business. And they have a great partnership with Park Power, by the way. So when your system in the summer months is providing more juice than you need park power is going to pay you back more than the big guys we love when real talk sponsors work together on stuff like that if 2023 is the year that you are ramping things up in your personal or professional life if 2023 is when you're going back to school i hope you're considering canada's open university at athabascau.ca their world-class accredited online programs and courses offer flexibility that's the biggest deal you remember when my pal harman candola was in studio on the group chat roundtable just a short time ago he talked about his wife and how there had been some COVID complications and they had new family members arriving and there were things happening in her personal life she put her studies on hold at athabasca university didn't fall behind as she earned her master's degree because you customize the way that the course load plays out. I love hearing the real person, first person testimonies of students at Athabasca University. You can check it out today at AthabascaU.ca. Uh, John, we have an update from our friends at Friesen Brothers, by oh, really? the way. Yeah, we have an update here. They wanted me to share with you. And that is, when we tell people if you snooze, you lose, you lose. Sometimes it means that, well, you've missed out on something big, like the Christmas dinner box. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, enough real talkers went to Friesen.com and ordered the Ukrainian-inspired Christmas dinners that now they're sold out. They're sold out at the Edmonton store, but here's the good news. They're still available for order at Stony Plain and Fort Saskatchewan Friesen Brothers locations, all right? So you can still find them. And by the way, $60 to feed four people or $600 to feed 40 people. That's the best deal you're gonna find. So they're sold out at the Edmonton store, but they're still available for order at the Stony Plain or Fort Saskatchewan locations. And don't forget as well, they have their Christmas gift boxes, fully customizable at Friesen.com slash gifts. Friesen.com slash gifts for totally custom Christmas gift boxes from Friesen Brothers. And we're sitting around this beautiful table in our Real Talk studio having conversations. That conversation uh, with our two guests there, Lou and Sandra, that's going to stick with me for a while. We're going to be processing that for a while. We envisioned beautiful conversations happening around this table and we wanted the table itself to be special. And that's why we went to our friends at Urban Timber. They're taking reclaimed wood and working magic with it, including their boxcar collection, which you can check out online at urbantimber.ca. These are literally super... Slabs of wood, uh, most of them fur. None of them look alike. Every single piece is unique. They've been riding the rails literally on boxcars, in some cases, for, for they're over 100 years old. Well, they're, be, they're being repurposed into stunningly beautiful tables and countertops and end tables i mean a cargo countertop are you kidding me you want your home renovation to stand apart miles above anywhere else you go to urbantimber.ca and you can learn more about what they're doing with reclaimed wood absolutely stunningly beautiful stuff well this uh next conversation We haven't had a conversation like this in a while on the show.
2: No, we have not.
1: As a matter of fact, (laughs) I don't think we've ever had a conversation uh, where we have, in all seriousness, asked, could Hobbits be real? Uh, But this is the question that our guest has been endeavoring to ask uh, or answer, rather, since the 1970s. Uh, That's when uh, Professor Greg Forth first started his investigation Uh, into these small beings, these skeletons discovered on a remote Indonesian island uh, of what could indicate an early human species. Earlier this year, the professor released his investigation through publishing giant Simon & Schuster, the book Between Ape and Human, an anthropologist on the trail of a human hominoid. The professor emeritus of anthropology, University of Alberta, joining us live on real talk this morning professor welcome to the show and thank you for making time for us
0: oh well, i'm very glad to be here thanks yeah
1: well i think some people might think that the question is a is 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 a bit of a ruse they, they might think that we're pulling their leg when we ask could oh. hobbits be real but but this yeah. is something you've dedicated your life to
0: well not not quite actually i um <laughs> Uh, No, it was mainly uh, in the 1980s when I I began to uh, research uh, on Flores Island in uh, eastern Indonesia. And uh, I found one of the things I found, first of all, uh, there was um, people talking about uh, small bodied uh, humanoid uh, or hominoid um, creatures, um, maybe just, you know, three feet or so high. Uh, living a a cultureless existence uh, in high mountain forests, uh, somewhat hairy, uh, as you might expect. But, um, yeah, uh, what what really got me going uh, was the discovery in uh, late 2003 of uh, what's been called uh, The Hobbit. I don't like the name. (laughs) The Hobbit is a mythical character. Uh, What you're showing now is uh, is certainly... uh, certainly real this uh, this has been interpreted as as a new uh, hominin species uh, homo floresiensis um, the original dates were just 12,000 years ago or, or so which was you know i mean remarkably recent uh, that date's been pushed back a bit to uh, 50,000 years ago but it's still um it, it, you know it, it still overlaps with with, with homo homo sapiens so uh, geologically it's 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 like yesterday, uh, you might say that that this thing uh, lived, and uh, the um, the skeletons have been found only at one site. Uh, this is important on on Flores, just just one site. Um, you know, clearly they didn't just live in one in one place. Uh, so how long they survived on the island, uh, I I don't know. But uh, what what really uh, um, you know, grabbed my attention was the fact that the the, the reconstructions of uh, Homo floresiensis, the fossil hominin, um, matched, you know, remarkably closely with what I was being told by uh, uh, local people, and in particular, uh, people um, in in the Leo region towards the. Uh, eastern end of, uh, of of the island, um, you're showing them out there, so it's a kind of second bol- a bulge along. Um, we're, we're saying that these things are, are still survive. They're very rare. Occasionally people do still see them. So uh, I set out in the book uh, to try and explain this. You know, what, what could uh, account for this remarkable coincidence? And I came to the um, conclusion, controversial conclusion, that uh, you know the best. Uh, the best explanation, after I um, considered all the others, the, the best explanation was that uh, you know some people were actually seeing something that corresponded closely to the the, uh, the usual description of of these uh, the, of these creatures. I, I call them kind of um, taking a cue from their own local language. I, I call these creatures uh, ape men. Ape which includes men. women as well by the way
1: yeah eight eight people eight men so so are, so are you saying that these i mean creatures seems like such a harsh word to use
0: because well, we're want- creatures as well. so you Yeah, know. we are
1: creatures. You're right. Maybe I should quit being so freaking sensitive all the time. But so are you suggesting that they could still be living, that there could be a I mean, I'm only going to use civilian language because I'm not I'm not a professor emeritus like you. I don't have a doctorate from Harvard or Oxford rather like you do. Sorry to confuse the two. Uh, but <laughs> but but is it is it possible that this is in a way the missing link?
0: Uh, not the missing link, because uh, um, Homo floresiensis. Let's just talk about uh, him or her. Homo is is uh, physically very primitive, very small as well, uh, hominin, and um, it goes way back. It's in a separate line uh, from ourselves, which is one reason I I hesitate to call it human. I uh, I mean, this is human is a term that's never really been uh um uh, defined by by paleoanthropologists uh, uh philosophers all over the world including in places like uh um like the Leo region in, in flores uh, have uh, have been uh, pondering for you know millennia what 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 constitutes uh, um hu- humanity so i i uh, yeah I, I prefer a neutral term like creatures or 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 beings although beings is uh yeah, it's not quite as good as, as as creatures because it usually includes spiritual beings, which are uh, something quite uh, quite different. Yeah.
1: So, what do the locals think? Like when when you when you speak with the locals and you hear testimony of of. of- mm-hmm sightings so to speak yeah. i mean what's what's the story there they're describing these these almost sort of hairy bodied individuals uh, unclothed mm-hmm. right um, oh, sounding course, yeah. like as you've pointed out more primitive than modern humans but
0: but oh yes, supposedly so. yeah
1: supposedly died out hundreds of years ago what's the local story do they have a do they have a special or, or local understanding
0: um <laughs> they um they're quite fearful of of of, uh, of the ape men, uh, as the ape men are of of them. So uh, that's one factor, kind of limiting uh, contact between the two uh, the two species. Um, they 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 have a myth, uh, according to which uh, a myth of origin, according to which the ape men uh, derive from uh, from humans. Um, kind of Darwin turned on his head you might uh, uh, you might say um, they, they tell much the same myth by the way about uh, uh, about about monkeys in fact it's a common a common theme uh, uh, among what you might call pre-scientific folk uh, uh, that that certain animals derive from from human beings uh, rather than you know humans deriving from uh, um, a more animal like uh, ancestor so um, that they, they yeah they're not too concerned about the origins of the things that they, they they don't um that they're rare as i said so they don't really play a prominent role in in everyday uh in everyday life but they're found to be i mean by people who see them they're find, found to be ambiguous and uh people react uh, in the way you would expect uh, um, perhaps to something that looks human but it's not not quite. There's something wrong. It's uncanny, um, and this is something I, I, I go into in the book. The, those accounts, uh, eyewitness accounts, that, that uh, describe the uh, observers' reactions are really the most, the most, uh, the most valuable.
1: So, when you like, let me. I ask this question respectfully, but when you talk to people that that, that talk about sightings, is it is it like Nessie? You know, like, is it like the Bigfoot? Is it like is, is, is are, are they perceived maybe among the, the, the their fellow island dwellers to be to be spinning a yarn? Uh, how, do you, ah, what sense did question. you get?
0: Yeah. No, they're not. No, um, that th- there is is no, uh, you know, remarkable rejection <laughs> or denial, nor is there any remarkable uh, acceptance. Are they considered by I can say everyone? Uh, certainly in leo country as um just another animal um but one that that looks too human
1: this this mass grave that you talk about uh, oh yeah can I, I can I, can I put a longer question together because here's where my brain's going and please don't roll your eyes uh but I, but no, but, no. <laughs> but you indicate to us that there was a mass grave discovered that, that these 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 creatures have have really the the only known or, or documented location is this one remote Indonesian island is mm-hmm. it possible that this was just a a community potentially even a family or an extended family of really little people like what like is, is it yeah. possible that this was just one small community that mm-hmm. maybe shared some genetics or or you know what I'm getting at?
0: i do and and in fact i mean that uh uh that 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 was proposed that 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 theory was proposed uh back in uh 2004 when they the, the discovery of Floresiensis was uh w- w- was announced uh, that they were you know just kind of uh, um well there there were two or three variants uh, but one is that they they were um uh, yeah uh, small people who, who uh in addition were suffering from some sort of uh, uh disease probably uh, congenital disorder uh, probably microcephaly um, which makes for a, a very small head as the name suggests um this has been shown quite conclusively not to be the case the accepted uh view interpretation uh, in anthropology uh, now is that uh, Homo floresiensis are a, a separate uh, a separate species. They're quite different from uh, from modern humans. Not only are they small, but uh, certainly their physical features um, are, are more closely resemble uh, chimpanzees and and other apes than they do. You know, even uh, um, earlier uh, hominins like. Like Homo erectus or, or the uh, the Australopithecine, so uh, yeah, no, they're, they're a, a strange bundle of, of, of traits, and uh, I, I think that that uh, you know that that, that combination of uh, of of yeah hominin or Homo uh, features and and things belonging to apes or pre Homo uh, hominins that that, um, that that lends support to the the uh, my phrase. Or their phrase as well ape man
1: do you how has this landed with the greater scientific community i'm a, I'm, yeah. a, I'm a little surprised this seems to me I'm, I'm sort of like this is washing over me as we're talking and i'm wondering why yeah. more people aren't talking about this
0: uh, <laughs> well the book uh, didn't uh, came out not not uh, <laughs> not too long ago but um, like you should more,
1: be on you should yeah. be on jimmy kimmel you, you would know, think
0: so, yeah. You not should that be I'm on CNN. That, but, yes, yeah, yes. well, who knows? These things sometimes take time. It's actually got, uh, the book has got uh, more uh, attention in uh, in the U.S. and the U.K. And, and Europe than it has in Canada. So I, I'm pleased that the, the Folio Report, you know, as has uh, uh, kind of uh, recatalyzed uh, things. Um, but, um, yeah, we're all in the same year that the book came out. So it's not, it's not that late. But um, I, I'm trying to remember your uh, your original question. Well, just now, how yeah. this how well, this has... appear, well, let me let me talk. I do remember it. Um, I, 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 why the scientific community haven't haven't responded? Good question. I uh, I, I think there are some anthropologists, some paleoanthropologists who who rather I- I ignore this the, the the kind of thesis that I uh, I, I offer. Um, uh, but um, you know, I, I give it time. I um, I, I hope. To, uh, well, uh, let me just say that there have been articles uh, in scientific uh, um, journals, more popular uh, scientific journals like Science, Science Digest, and so on, on the book, uh, and uh, and you know, uh, magazines on from all over the globe. And uh, um, one, uh, um, uh, I'm thinking in in particular one or two that that did consult uh, paleoanthropologists. These are people who uh, specialize in in human or hominin evolution, you know, and and who you know actually uh, actually dig things uh, uh, dig things up. And um, there there was one. A person I I know by reputation, one man who, who commented, um, "Well, um, you know, if, if he said it was almost impossible for something like this to survive, he didn't say why, and he didn't say impossible. He said almost yeah. <laughs> impossible. I suppose which you lends some uh, some hope. But uh, uh, one uh, well, one other thing he said was that um, if uh, if if the eight men." Uh, did survive the descendants of homo floresiensis flurin- perhaps then somebody would have discovered one by now well um it's a little bit arrogant because local people in the flores re- region uh, you know a number of them uh, a couple of dozens have uh, discovered um this this thing they're not scientists obviously they they wouldn't know how to, to uh, scientifically to document uh, a new species, and and all the the rest of they have no knowledge or, or interest in that kind of thing, um, but
1: um, like to be uh, yeah, clear, so it has
0: been discovered. Also, I mean, they, you know, you mentioned the the size of the island and and uh, and the popular human population. Most of the human population, by the way, is uh, concentrated in the western end of, of Flores, not in the east central part where I you know, uh, worked with, with Leo people. Also, uh, by far, uh, most of the human population is on the coast, not in the, you know, mountainous uh, interior. Um, although there are some modern humans, uh, you know, physically modern humans there as uh, as well. But so,
1: just so we're clear, they're yeah. not talking about finding remains. They're not talking about yes. finding fossils, or, or, or they're talking about seeing these beings, these creatures, mm-hmm. Walking yeah. around like alive and well, like still on uh, planet Earth,
0: yeah. Although, two uh, very, very striking uh, reports from local people, um, refer to, um, uh, two of them, yeah, referred to, to dead specimens. Okay, so, so they were able to get up, uh, close and and uh, you know, uh, and a little bit uh, personal, you might, uh, you, you might say, Do you um, believe them? I have no reason to disbelieve them. I uh I and again, you know, that's a that's a, another good question. It, it's a it's one that I I raise in the book and I, I give reasons for uh having no reason to doubt them.
1: Do you, what do you think bigger picture if we zoom way out from this island? Yeah. And we start to talk about like the origin of the species. And we start to talk about our understanding of, I mean, let's go big picture. Let's make our minds explode here. We start to talk about the, the the origin of humankind and how we got here and the millions or billions of years and the whole, uh, what would be the implications of this discovery or this story or this specific creature on the bigger understanding of why and how we're all here?
0: Um, well, I mean, it would, <laughs> it would mean in a sense that that we are we are not alone, as they uh, say, that there is another another species of uh, of, of hominin, to use the technical term. I, um, I yeah, I mean, if if one or more of these were discovered alive, there would be a huge practical and, and indeed moral uh, question uh, with which uh, Homo sapiens would be uh, presented, and. Th- and that is what to, what to do with, with these things. I mean, obviously, you would want to uh, treat them well and, um, you know, provide for them. But uh, would you put them in something like a zoo or a nature reserve or, or, uh, <laughs> or, or, or you know, what, what's, what's the alternative? Uh, Homo floresiensis had, had a very small brain, a brain about the size of a chimpanzee's. Um, uh, and indeed, partly for that reason, it, it, it's doubted whether uh, they actually had um, they actually had language, or, or you know, a uh, 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 sort of a permanent tool uh, technology, or even if they used uh, they used fire. They, they seem to have been Floresians. seem to be mainly, um, if not entirely, plant uh, eaters. Um, by the way, you know, subsisting on on, on wild uh, plant food so um, yeah certainly different in that respect from uh, from their sapiens neighbors
1: isn't that telling uh, how we're hardwired as humans eh? that that one of our first inclinations upon the discovery potentially of a new creature is what are we going to do with it uh, the, the creature's <laughs> response may be how about nothing how about <laughs> you don't do anything <laughs> we've been perfectly well, fine I'm-
0: well, no, that, I mean that—that—that's—that's that's exactly right, and and it probably, you know, in most respects, would be uh, would w- would be better if we just uh, left a lot of uh, uh, other non humans uh, uh, alone. Um, but uh, you know, science, uh, and in fact, humanity in general ha- have an urge to 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 know, uh, e- even when the knowledge isn't particularly uh, particularly practical or convenient. Yeah, well, there you were. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, like a lot of other things we do, they're, they're uh, you know, not, not necessarily entirely in, in our best interests or in the best interests of, uh, of other other creatures.
1: Well said. This this is mind-blowing stuff, and I'm so grateful that you've made yourself available uh, to talk about it. Professor, thank you so very much. Your book, Between Ape and Human, An Anthropologist on the Trail of a Hidden Hominoid. Uh, the author, the researcher, Professor Gregory Forth, who's been joining us, uh, professor of anthropology at the University of Alberta for many years until his retirement just a few years ago. Professor Emeritus, now a fellow of the Royal Society of Canada, and, of course, uh, a graduate of Simon Fraser University and the University of Oxford. A very happy holidays to you. And, and thanks for blowing our minds this morning.
0: Well, that's uh, that's fine. I'm not usually up this early, but uh, this <laughs> is kind of uh, <laughs> got me started. So, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of other things to do before Christmas. So, yeah, have a, have a good one.
1: There you go. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. He, he did say before when he booked him, he said, please call me Greg. Oh, but i thought okay. gregory just he sounds pretty, he's the professor this guy's the, uh, is your mind blown like mine is
2: I, I i love this i think we should have more guests like this all the time yeah it <laughs> we'll,
1: is we'll just keep looking for these stories i didn't know i even until the interview started uh i did not know that that there was there was a chance they were still chance they're still around
2: yeah, that's what that's what blew my mind too <laughs> it's
1: do you yeah. think they are based on what you've just heard?
2: I don't know. I want to believe I want to believe there's there's other life out there whether it's here or on other planets or whatever it is and I I just I'm so interested in this, right? Is so. it
1: possible for a being to exist. I mean, I think I think the depths of of the ocean is I one can, thing. I, they say they're always discovering new species. Atlantis. Uh, well, but I mean, <laughs> they, like you start seeing these wild. I follow these Instagram accounts of like they're like from the deep. Mm-hmm. Like once you start getting down into unfathomable. Oh, I'm obsessed with that depths too. Depths of the ocean, but the is giant it possible? Squid
2: and and everything that lives where there's so much pressure But our son desert? Wyatt was asking
1: yeah. me about about you know he had learned about Sasquatch mm-hmm. and Bigfoot in school. As no, I'm just kidding. Um and uh, but but he had questions about that. Like, like mm-hmm. is it like is that possible is it possible and then he as a 7 year old was like how would nobody have seen them by now and i said well some people think they have seen them and then well what do people think about those people well quite frankly they think that they're they're either nuts or they're lying that's that's basically what people think if someone claims to have seen Bigfoot or to have seen the Loch Ness Monster or Ogopogo if you want a Canadian reference. Kelowna. Hey, out of Kelowna?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but like I I get what you were trying to do. Y- y- your thing was like y- you're wondering if this is part of the the chain of part evolution of the chain. Yes. that maybe got separated from it and somehow survived, right? I yeah. could see how you were going down that route. But I'm more the just I would love to see if something just thrived and we, we never knew about it. It would be so cool. A, a gene. Uh, but again, humans, we would roll s- in and we'd screw it all up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> we would screw it all up. Just leave them alone. Small brains and plant eaters. That's uh, the, I was wondering, are they advanced or are they devolved or are they? They may have been ahead of their time. Are you trying to make a
2: reference to me because I I'm eat just, plants.
1: I'm just having <laughs> some fun with you. I'm having some fun. I was expecting you to chime in and say, so they clearly were intelligent. They clearly well, were intelligent if they were on a plant-based diet. They knew what was good for right? them. But They, yeah, just they the knew stories. to stick to plants and
2: stay out of the way of humans. The stories of people <laughs> actually seeing them. I mean, that's what
1: I want to... And yeah. then he says, well, he says, yeah, but they saw them deceased. Well, why didn't they take the corpse? Mm. Why didn't they bring it back? You know? I mean, it's not like... I mean, here's the thing. They, th- there's no question they existed. They found the remains. We've been showing you the, the skeletons. We've been showing you the evidence. We've been showing you the, you know, the the, the uh, archaeological discovery. And so, there's no question that these beings existed. Um, you know, Professor Forth for for many years uh, spent, I mean, years looking into, you know, how these uh, people, who, you know, were were believed. Uh, first of all, the island dwellers. Like, I'm not talking about the. Flor- Homo florensis, i can't even say it. The creatures. I feel bad calling. Like anyway, I need to yeah, get over creatures that.
2: Creatures and things. I was like, I yeah, I don't these know things, these creatures. <laughs> but yeah, just incredible. And where, but the island people themselves and the culture there. Yeah. But where else would it happen though on an isolated island? But also, <laughs> it was—it was, it oh was just every everything he kept saying. I feel like we could have had the whole show with the professor today. Just going down the different avenues, and people on the chat were just like. <laughs> oh,
1: I bet I haven't even read. Uh, people are. Uh, how about this from Tracy? Tracy says some days the world seems very small, not today. I also saw somebody. This from Brenda. Can I move the soapstone? Can I move Lou's carving to what to lighter wood? She says so they can see it better. Sure. I'm 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 humbled by this. Lou has presented this as a gift to to us at Real Talk. This soapstone carving of a, a polar bear and an Inukshuk and. And obviously we're going to make a donation to the 60 Scoop Society. That's something I, that's, that's, that's washing over me. And
2: Another conversation I feel like we could have had. I feel like we should just have one show. You know, we always try and jam so much in, but like, yeah, well, it's we- clear that Lou has a lot to talk about and some of it he's not ready to talk about. But like, I, I mean, people in the chat were getting, emo- I was just getting emotional. Like, I don't want to relate. Any part of my life to to their story, but like I grew up without a father most of my life, my teens, yeah, my older old older years, but I at least had my mom, and I knew where I came from, you know what I mean? And just hearing like, like not knowing anything, yeah, about your life, and not only that, being raised, you know, not indigenous, like not of who you are, yeah, being raised Caucasian or whatever it is, like,
1: like German, basically, yeah. the
2: gap in your soul. It just must be enormous. And how he even talks
1: now, like he's been going back there and – and and i let people know that when we and in a moment we're I mean we're gonna go to Jasper, we're gonna do the thing and then and then the and then we'll thank you for tuning in and then the credits will roll and then we'll stop recording and then John and I will still Take keep talking a huge about breath. this. We'll still keep talking about this for the next two hours and I bet the real talkers will as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right, and when Lou talks about I mean, like this carving is is stunning and he's and he's saying that he just started carving a year ago. Right, as a grown man, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, that just blows my mind. But, but his comments about language. And he says it's really difficult to connect with culture if you don't have the language. Mm-hmm. And we've seen, and I also appreciated them them making the point both of them uh, about how you know when you're talking about 60 scoop survivors, and even the, the ceremony there that they intend to hold in May into June, and, and the round rounddowns and everything, um, saying it's you know Cree is not Dené is not Iroquois is is not Soto is mm-hmm. not right. I mean Blackfoot is not like, and the list goes on and on and on and on. The different traditions, different communities, different cultures, different languages, uh, and um, and these are just I mean it just reiterates to me just the 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 huge importance of telling those kind of stories. Lou was and you could probably tell a little bit, so nervous to come on the show.
2: yeah, and well, I said
1: he- I said to him, man, as best you can, you know like try to sort of ignore the cameras and the microphones and all that jazz, and you're just sitting around a table with with friends and allies and, mm-hmm. and you just tell your story, but I said to him there's there's no way for you to know Lou, but I can guarantee it. Uh, The impact that your story is going to have on somebody and it might just be one person or two people that hear it, but it's going to have a huge impact on somebody and I can't be the only one that's Mm -hmm. holding out hope that he's going to have an opportunity to reconnect with his daughter.
2: Yeah, and I did it. I I could tell it was hard for him like think about the, 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 the most horrible thing that's ever happened to you the biggest thing that's. Negative that's had the biggest impact on your life and trying to talk about it, but having it happen like before you even were aware of yourself. Yes. Like it's just. I was getting choked up the whole time he was talking because I know it's just like it's buried deep in him and it's so hard to dig it up right yeah
1: this is a show that we vow to you that we're gonna make space for these conversations and we're gonna have conversations that 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 sometimes are like entertaining and hilarious and, and ridiculous I mean this week's edition of seriously the podcast with Sapria DeVetti that we've released is so the most fun we've had in front of microphones for a long time and then we're gonna have some conversations like we did leading off today's show that are gonna be difficult and challenging and uncomfortable and uh, and that's why we're here here why it's called real talk and we're so grateful again um, for for sandra relling and lou jobs joining us this morning just really remarkable stuff every wednesday we head out to the mountains it's uh an opportunity to to really be present in jasper national park to take in everything that the mountains have to offer it's presented by our wonderful friends at tourism jasper my jasper memories and in this week's edition Uh, We want to put on your radar an opportunity to discover the tastier side of winter and indulge with Jasper in January's exclusive menus. Uh, Starting next month, this is an annual tradition in Jasper. Jasper in January is one that we've not missed from going on 15 years because in part... Of the exclusive menus, the unique dishes, the irresistible specials that come with this celebration, uh, these festival-long specials seriously drool-worthy. Uh, I mean, number one, the poutine showdown. <laughs> if you go to Jasper.travel/january, you can read about that. It runs for 16 days, and they're looking to award Jasper's top. Poutine, And so restaurants around town are going to create their own unique and tastiest and even wildest poutine. And then you can vote online for your favorite, which is great. I always love the, the, uh, the audience choice awards. Those are oftentimes the ones I know that means the most. What about whiskey, wine, and hops? You can learn more about that online as well. Whiskey, wine, and hops. It runs on the 14th of January. So circle your calendar. Break out your best knits. Plaids, right? The ultimate Après ski event. This fun annual highlight features scotch and wine and spirits and local and international beers and a selection of wonderful tapas and Après snacks. That runs on January 14th. What about the Mountain Milanka? I love this. This is uh, Edmonton's Ukrainian Festival presenting the inaugural Mountain Milanka Ukrainian New Year's celebration in Jasper. This is going to be absolutely wonderful. Uh, Join for a night of the winter culture and food, music, dance, and celebration. Uh, U-Fest redefines Ukrainian New Year by bringing a mountain casual vibe, which is going to be super cool. On the 21st of January to celebrate... And showcase rich Ukrainian tradition. All are welcome uh, to kick off this inaugural event on the 21st of January. And then, of course, there's Vinophilia, which is the, for the love of wine, your opportunity to come and sample wines from around the world and, and learn from experts uh, about their unique offerings. You can find details on this, of course, again, at January. This is one you won't want to miss, uh, mingle with your friends, enjoy, obviously, delicious snacks at a cocktail-style event. And then, of course, it's wine o'clock as well. (laughs) It's like, I feel like that's one of the most commonly printed t-shirts these days. I feel
2: like Friday at four o'clock until January 2nd is wine o'clock.
1: Yeah. Oh, you're going to make it all the way till four o'clock on Friday. (laughs) Are you, John? (laughs) (laughs) That's January 16th through the 20th. It's a midweek celebration. It's an exclusive Jasper in January event with Jasper food tours, founder Estelle Blanchette. This is one you're going to want to hit every weekday from five 30 to six 30. Great happy hour moment there. Taste and explore three different wines of a single grape variety. Jasper in January is happening January 13th through the 29th. You can learn more at jasper.travel slash January. And maybe I'll see a few of you out there. We're going to make sure we get out there and make our own Jasper memories. When you're shooting photo or video, posting it on Instagram or Twitter, make sure you use the hashtag MyJasper and RealTalkRJ. And we'd love to feature some of your Jasper memories right here on the show. You know, we're grateful every single day for the sponsors that ensure that this show stays on the air, and that includes the team at Apex Automation. John and I all week have just been recovering from their Christmas party. Uh, Oh my gosh, my face hurt from smiling through that Friday night. Their team, we told you about them crowdfunding a condo for one of their coworkers. They gave her the down payment for Christmas because she had a tough year. When they talk about people power, when they talk about people over profits, it's not buzzwords. It's real talk. It's the foundation that they poured when they started Apex Automation, and it's the biggest reason, I would guess, why they've grown like they have the other reason of course is that they're the best in the business in automation and it doesn't matter what energy industry you're in it it doesn't matter what public service industry you're in I mean from from brewing to potash mining Apex is automating the process and giving people back their time if you're a professional engineer looking for a change of pace looking to be appreciated more than you are right now I suggest you visit the careers link at apexautomation.ca if you're looking to upgrade your ride this holiday season maybe put a big red bow on the hood of something you know what i mean why not check out the 2022 jeep grand cherokee the jeep wagoneer as well for the full size four x four market the best in the business and you won't find a better selection than you will at sherwood and st albert dodge you can shop them online or in person you make sure you let them know that real talk sent you Another idea, and we're looking for unconventional stocking stuffers right now because you know some people are looking for that perfect gift and they can't quite pin it down. You can't give soap anymore. You've given soap for 10 out of the last 12 (laughs) Christmases. I like soap. How about a a consultation? All right, well, I know what you're getting, pal. You're going to get all the soap that people have given me for the last 10 Christmases. I've saved them all in a drawer. They're all starting to smell the same john more soap than you could possibly use or what about a consultation with mike and his team at eden landscaping this is for the person that has everything the person that's difficult to buy for the person with a boring front yard that could stand to ramp up their curb appeal a consultation with mike at eden landscaping gets the ball rolling on bringing an outdoor space to life If you're going to be doing some yard design, a transformation anyway in the spring, why not make it part of the holiday excitement? You can get in touch with them today. Get the ball rolling at landscapeedmonton.ca. And don't be showing up to your holiday parties empty-handed. Nothing says I care about you like a treat from Dairy Queen. Dilly Bars, Dairy-Free Dilly Bars, Buster Bars, Treats and Pizzas, Blizzard Cakes, and the Classic DQ Cake. Any occasion is made a happy occasion with a custom DQ Cake from the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. That's right, the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park wishing you and your family a happy and DQ Cake ramped up holiday season. (laughs) Ha ha! (laughs) That's Dairy Queen. Nobody does it better than them. And finally, a quick shout out to our friends at Local Environmental Services. There's a bit of a change this week because, you know, Friday's show, Friday's Real Talk is our annual Patreon party. Our Patreon supporters have an exclusive link in their email inbox right now. And Friday's show is just for you. That means that Trash Talk will run tomorrow on Thursday's edition of Real Talk, which you'll be able to find per usual on our YouTube channel and wherever you get your podcasts. Trash Talk is, of course, presented every week by our friends at Local Environmental Services. Some people say it's only garbage, but not to them. They believe that communities deserve Better. To find out what that means in Edmonton, Whitecourt, Regina and area, check out localenvironmental.ca today coming up on tomorrow's show we expect that we're going to speak with globe and mail journalist robin Doolittle, who's been doing unbelievable reporting on this hockey canada scandal there's updates gut-wrenching ones out this week we're going to get the story and the details you need to know as the world junior tournament gets set to kick off plus innovation strategist sean canungo joins me in studio for what promises to be an inspiring conversation we'll see you tomorrow
4: Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson.